Pray with me. Oh God, as the prophet Isaiah has said, the one that you are looking for is one who is humble and contrite in heart and trembles at your word. So Lord, we tremble before your word today. Speak a word to us, Lord. Encourage us, strengthen us, sharpen us, discipline us, Lord. And pour your love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit you have given to us so that we might be sent out in boldness to proclaim the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. Are you happy in Jesus? The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? Is He? Is He the Lion of the tribe of Judah? Is He the only one who is worthy to break the seal and open the scroll of the Lamb's book of life? Amen. Is He the one who gave His life in love for us at Calvary? Amen. And is He alive today? Amen. The gospel uh, this morning, it shakes me. (laughs) These are words that provoke the question, am I unashamed of Jesus Christ? Am I unashamed of Jesus Christ in a world that is becoming more and more anti-Jesus Christ? Anti-Bible, anti-God. And so I think it's a very relevant passage today. And I want to say, and I think this is prophetic just by nature of the clear truth of it, is that this passage that we're going to look at today from the Gospels is going to become the relevance of it. It's going to become more and more clear to us in the days and months and years to come. And I think it's a timely word today. And I have prayed over this passage this week, prayed and prayed and prayed over it, and has challenged me uh, to fan into flame the gifts that God has given me for the sake of proclaiming the gospel in our world. Let's just jump right into the passage today. I don't have any little fun jokes or anecdotes this morning. I just want to jump right into this because what Jesus has to say is so much more interesting than what I have to say. So let's just jump right in. These are challenging words, but you see, anytime Jesus speaks challenging words, it comes from his purifying fire of love. So you need, we need to establish that right from, right from the start before we wrestle with these words because our Father in Heaven always seeks to remove from us all that hinders us from belonging solely to Him in perfect communion. He's a jealous God for His people. He longs jealously for each one of us. And therefore, we may have no other gods before Him. And when He speaks words to us, He often speaks words of warmth and affection and tenderness to encourage us and strengthen us, but He also speaks words that challenge us that are like a refiner's fire to purify us of everything that would hinder us from becoming the people that He has made us to be. So let's look at these challenging words today and be reminded that the love of God is in these words and it's not a love that is cold and clinical. It is a love that is warm and affectionate, fiery even, and deeply personal. I think that when Jesus was speaking these words to his disciples, it was really as a word of encouragement because Jesus was always trying to strengthen them and warn them about what was coming. He was like, guys, it's not always going to be fun and games and, uh, and, 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 and a bed of roses. 
Right? Is that how you say that? A bed of a path of roses. And he said, things are coming after I go to the cross that are going to be very difficult for you. You're going to be persecuted and you're going to be hated by the whole world. And so he speaks these words today to them and subsequently to us to encourage us and to strengthen us for things that are to come. You know, America, this country has gone, went through quite a few decades and generations of Christians being able to live pretty peacefully. We would even maybe have said at one point this nation, maybe we wouldn't call it a Christian nation, but it was at least very open to God and people could uh, be very open about their views. This Bible was read in public. Prayers were allowed in sc- uh, public schools. And we have seen a shift just in the last 30 to 40 years, a very dramatic shift where Christianity is not any longer just like tolerable. It's actually becoming um, intolerable to many people and seen as a very bigoted and closed-minded and anti-progress religion. And so the shift in our culture that is doesn't seem to be dying down anytime soon is going to create a more challenging context for people who are truly going to be faithful followers of Christ to stand up on his word and continue to proclaim his name in a world that is rejecting him. So let's just look at, at what Jesus has to say. So verse starting in verse uh, 24, he says, Stu- it's not, it's, uh, the student is not above the teacher nor a servant above his master. It is enough for students to be like their teachers and servants like their masters. A student, a disciple is a student, so he's speaking in discipleship terms here. And he says, um, if the head of the house has been called Beelzebul, that means prince of demons. Jesus was accused of being the prince of demons for his miraculous works. He says, how much more the members of his household? So he says, if you want to be like me, you better just accept the fact that you're going to be labeled, mislabeled, miscategorized, slandered, persecuted, oppressed, maybe even put to death. But he says, if you want to be like the master, brace yourself for these things, right? And above all things, what it means to be a Christian is to be like a Christian. That word means like little Christ, right? We are to be little Christ, conformed to his image as we follow him on this journey of life. So, you know, when it comes to uh, following Jesus and being like Jesus... Um, you know, we think about things like his compassion, his kindness, his forgiveness, his mercy, and rightfully so. We can never exalt those things and magnify them enough. And we say, yes, I want to be like that. I want to be like you, Jesus. I want to be compassionate. I want to be a healing presence in the world. I want to forgive my enemies. I want to be like that. But you see, it wasn't so much those things that caused Jesus to be persecuted. It was his stance for truth. Right living, right thinking, right worship, right attitude of the heart. It was his rebuke of the externally righteous people who were actually in their hearts far from God. It was his stance against immorality and empty hypocritical religion. Those are the things that actually caused him to be persecuted. And so the call for us is to be like him, not only in his compassion, his mercy, his justice, and his peace, but to be like him in that we stand up for truth, even when it means we might be persecuted for it. You see, John uh, chapter 7, Jesus says in John chapter 7, the world hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. That's why Jesus was hated. He's, he testified about the world that its works were evil and his message was one of repentance. It's not a popular message because it means oh, we have to change. 
We have to change. But thanks be to God and by the work of the Holy Spirit, He is making us into His own image, conforming us into the image of His Son. And what a joyful, though challenging journey it it is. So the question for us today is, do I want to be like Jesus when it comes to standing up boldly for what is true and righteous in God's eyes? See, God, truth, what is true and righteous is not something that God arbitrarily decided. What's true and righteous is true and righteous because of God's own character that is true and righteous. Okay, So things that are unrighteous are a violation of God's character. And thus it is very important to God to defend his reputation in the world through his people who stand up for his character by standing on the truth and on righteousness. Tracking with me? That was like kind of wordy, wasn't it? But I think, I think, I think you're hearing me. So, uh, truth be told, most of us fear, I am including myself in this category, we, for, we fear being perceived as a bigot or narrow-minded or too conservative in a pro- progressive culture because we believe in the Bible or whatever it is. And Jesus says, hey, you know what? They called me the prince of demons. They're going to do worse things to you. Get over it. Get over it. Right? You have to die to self to be a follower of Jesus. And he's telling us so that we're prepared that we're going to be falsely labeled and accused and slandered and persecuted and miscategorized and all that stuff. And he says, the Bible says, when that happens to you, rejoice because you're sharing in his glory. Okay? God sees all of it, right? And this is what Jesus goes on to say. Now think about how what he's saying as words of encouragement. He says, he says next to them, verse 26, so do not be afraid. Okay, everybody say that. Do not be afraid. He's going to say that three times repetitiously in this, this passage. So does the Lord want us to live in fear? No. He says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of them. Who? Those who oppose you. For there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. Okay? God sees everything. He's omnipresent. He's omniscient, all-knowing. He sees everything in all of time. He's outside of time. And so he has time, more than enough time in eternity to see everything. And one day, it's all going to be made known. Every act of evil and wickedness that was done in secret will be made known. Likewise, every act of goodness and charity and truth that was not acknowledged in the world, God sees it. And Jesus says later in this passage, you won't lose your reward even if you give so much as a cup of cold water to one of my followers, right? He sees all and all will be revealed in the end. And so Jesus is asking us to look at our lives and look at the world through the perspective of eternity because that's where true meaning is and where true meaning is derived from is from eternity in the way that God sees things. So he says to his disciples, what I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. So what, what is he talking about here? Well, later in the Gospels, we'll find out that he says the Holy Spirit is going to testify about me and you too must testify about me because you have been with me. So he's talking about what we hear through his Holy Spirit whispering to us to act on and to proclaim. Okay? I have, I, I, this is such an easy thing to fall off the wagon. I was in a rhythm of doing this often and paying attention to the Holy Spirit when I was out in public and ministering to people and sharing the gospel with people. And it kind of just got sort of, it's easy to just sort of get, like fall off the wagon. And I've had the, this passage has really challenged me to recommit to that and to listen to the nudges of the Holy Spirit. And when I do, you know what, when I do, and I share, was sharing the gospel with a woman at the park the other day with my kids and praying for her, she had some problems with her feet. And, 
when you do, you get such a surge of joy and you want to do it more. But you see, it's a matter of being determined to listen to what he's saying and to act on it. And he'll give you more and he'll give you joy when you do it. So he's telling them, don't be afraid. Everything is going to be uncovered in that day when I return. Everything will be seen. The book of uh, Hebrews tells us no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. That's an eternal perspective. That'll wake you up in the morning more than coffee will. Remembering that we will give an account to him for how we lived our lives. So Jesus, through the spirit living in us, wants to whisper things to us that he wants us to openly declare in the world. Now, he says, again, verse 28, do not be afraid, okay? Again, do not be afraid of those who can kill your body, okay? So he just goes all the way in right now and says, you know what? What's the worst they can do to you? They can kill your body. Hmm, guess what? You have eternal life. Guess what? You're getting a glorified body. It's going to be a lot better than the one that they take from you. Okay, hallelujah. Can anybody with sickness say amen? (laughs) Hallelujah, I'm getting a glorified body. So he says, don't be afraid even of death. You know, the Bible says, and what Jesus is doing in verse 28 here and 29, when he says, fear him rather who can uh, put both body and soul in hell, can destroy both body and soul in hell. If that doesn't put the fear of God on you, I don't know what will. But you see, the fear of the Lord is a beautiful thing. It doesn't mean to be afraid of God. The fear of the Lord means to have a holy reverence for God. To have your undivided attention given to God. To have an, a, a respect and a love for God. Knowing that He's a righteous and good God. A righteous and good Father. It means acknowledging Him, trusting Him, staying in awe of His majesty and love. That's what it means to have the fear of the Lord. So Jesus says, don't, if you fear man, what's going to happen, if you fear man, if you fear standing up for the truth, you're going to start to slowly, over the course of time, compromise, 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 to the point where no longer is your allegiance with God, the righteous one, you've actually given your allegiance to the world. That's what it, that's what it, that's what it comes down to. When you live a life of constant shame from the things that Jesus tells you to live for and to believe, it leads to compromise. And, it, and it, shows, it shows us where our allegiance is based on what we're willing, how we're willing to live, what we're willing to say and not say for the sake of the gospel. And Jesus says, have an eternal view of this because if you put your, give your allegiance to the world, what that ultimately means is eternal separation from God because you don't even have your allegiance with him anymore, right? So it is, it's meant to, it's meant to create a little bit of fear and trembling. But remember, it's because of his purifying love right? When you have a fear, a healthy fear of the Lord, you know deeply how much you are loved by daddy God and you live in reverence for him and you keep him number one in your life. So moving on, Jesus says this, he says in verse 29, are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. Sparrows were the cheapest thing you could purchase for a sacrifice in the temple. They were like pennies, Right. And so I love how Jesus moves in from these very challenging words about the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. And then he shows you don't forget the other side of him that is not at odds with his righteous judgment is that he's so tender and so compassionate that he takes note when a little sparrow falls from the ground. And he says, how much more does he care for you? 
He knows all the hairs on your head. I had a little story to tell you. So I was uh, riding. I, we used to have a, a border collie named Charlie, and she was a sweet girl. She was a little farm dog. And I used to take her on bike rides in our neighborhood in Flint, Michigan. And one day, we were riding on my bike, on my 10-speed bike, and another dog came running out after her, and she got scared, and she tried to shift sides, and she got caught up in my tire and pulled into the frame of the bike. We kind of wiped out, and this little uh, demon, demonic ankle biter came running out a- a- after her. And um, she, you know, ankle biters are possessed by the devil, right? I mean, chihuahuas especially. But this thing came out, I'm sorry if you have one, but this thing came out after her. She got tangled in the bike. She, her, 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 her midsection was squeezed in between that little frame that goes over the wheel and the wheel. And she was squealing, and there were fluids coming out of her and I thought she was done for. And you know what I did? I didn't know what else to do. And I just said, Jesus, because I couldn't get her out of the bike. And I turned around and somehow she had slipped out of the bike. She walked over. She found a little chicken bone on the ground and she was just chewing it and wagging her tail. It was a miracle. And I, I am not kidding you. It was a miracle because I thought she was done for. She was stuck in the bike and I couldn't get her out. And I cried out to Jesus and somehow she just slipped right out. She was fine. She had a little scuff on her nose right here from the tire, the tire, tire hitting her. I tell you that story because Jesus heard that cry and he has compassion even on my dog, right? Even on a sparrow. And this is what the rabbis would call a how much more story. How much more? If he cares for the sparrows, how much more does he watch over you and sovereignly provide for you, protect you, and love you. Okay? So I love that Jesus never separates the, 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 the righteous judgment of God from his tender, fatherly love. Okay? We have both of those. We have to have both of those and hold them together. So 32, moving a little bit deeper into the passage. Verse 31, again, he says, So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Three times in a row. Do you think Jesus cares about us living fearless, unashamed lives? He wants us to live unashamed lives, but he wants them to be fearless as well. Okay. So he says in verse 32, Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. Now I looked up the meaning of the word acknowledge here in the Greek, and it means in this context to profess to declare openly, speak out freely, to profess one's self, the worshiper of one, to praise or celebrate. Oh, that's good. But does that describe our lives, right? To acknowledge him, openly confessing him, right? That doesn't mean that you go to the grocery store and say, hey, did you know that I confess Jesus as Lord? Who do you confess as Lord? He's not talking about some kind of, a, of, a, of obnoxious screaming in a microphone or in a megaphone at everybody. But it's talking about being unashamed to share about the hope that you have in the risen Jesus. So it means to openly confess, speak out freely, profess oneself the worshiper of one. And Jesus is wanting us to consider... Short-term advantages versus long-term advantages, right? He says, if you acknowledge me before others, I will also acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. But if you disown me before others, if you abandon me, if you forsake me, if you refuse to speak of me before others, I will disown you before my Father in heaven. Just think about that for a minute. Jesus, you would 
you would disown me before my Father in heaven? Only if you show that your allegiance isn't really with me by disowning me. Right? It's not unfair. It's, it's perfect justice. It's Him respecting our free will out of love. If we choose to deny Him all our lives, we chose freely to do that. The, re- the consequences are that He will not acknowledge us as one of His before the Father. The f- you will know the tree by the fruit that it bears. Now, I don't think that this means one slip up and you're done for because you know what? Think of Peter. Peter denied him boldly. Oh, Lord, I'll never, I'll follow you to the end of my days. I don't care what they do to me. Hey, you're, you're a Galilean. You know Jesus. No, I don't. I don't know who that is. Jesus who? And yet, in that horrible denial, Jesus restores him. So if you feel shame or condemnation from the devil today, because you know you have uh, explicitly denied Jesus or implicitly denied him by refusing to ever talk about your faith in him, you need to let go of the condemnation that the devil wants to bring to you and instead have true godly repentance where you turn back to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm ashamed. I should not be ashamed of your name. I want to be bold. And the Lord embraces you with his mercy. That's what he wants. He wants to encourage us. He raised Peter up and he said to him those three times after he was raised from the dead, Peter, do you love me? Lord, I love you. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs, right? And he restored him and he did it three times to let Peter heal from the experience of denying him three times. He gave him the opportunity to confess his love for him three times. And Peter went on to be one of the most effective, uh, prominent heralds of the gospel in all of history you see so there's hope there's always new renewal there's always forgiveness with the lord he doesn't want to bring condemnation against us today he wants to bring encouragement and for some of us repentance that will lead to to life okay because he's a good god he's not a god who, who, who stands there condemning us trying to back us into a corner and make us afraid so the short-term advantages of being someone who just kind of mums the word about the Jesus thing, the short-term advantages are, are that you will avoid discomfort. Okay, You will be liked by unbelievers and by compromised Christians, and there are many of them. You'll never offend anybody. Okay? Those are the short-term advantages. But think about the long-term advantages. Actually, eternal. By long-term, I mean eternal You'll be approved of by God. You'll be pleasing in the Father's eyes. He'll be proud of you, His child. You'll be given greater things to steward that will fill your heart with satisfaction and joy in this life. Think about that. The short-term advantages, they just don't compare. The temporary comfort of keeping quiet about Jesus and about the truth of His Word, they just don't compare to the eternal weight of glory that God has prepared for us. You see, I think that our problem, it, 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 it's, it's, it's a, not exclusive to the American church, but it's definitely an American church problem, is that we are resolutely anti-suffering. We are so resolutely anti-suffering. I want to read what, what Peter himself, who we just talked about, wrote. This is, of course, after his restoration and after he becomes a Holy Spirit-filled powerhouse for the gospel. But he wrote a letter in the New Testament, First Peter, and this is what he said. And Peter was no stranger to suffering. Right here, this is, a, this is what I would call, packed in these two verses, a Christian theology of suffering. Okay? 
He says this, But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Think about it. In the moment, remember we've been talking about his return, and in that moment when the the thoughts and the hearts of all mankind and the actions are revealed in that single split moment, we'll become either deeply aware that we lived a life effectually denying his name, or that we didn't and we proclaimed his name and we did the best we could, even though we failed sometimes, and that the Father's pleased with us. And it says, when he returns and you see him in his glory, you'll be overjoyed. Your heart will have joy that's uncontainable because you know you lived in the way that he called you to live. What a thing to look forward to. Then he says this. This is what Peter says. I love how countercultural our faith is. Sometimes we forget that. But he says this. If you are insulted, you better reply on Facebook to that jerk because you need to be vindicated. No, this is what he says. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you we sing that song the other day come rest on us spirit of god come rest on us the spirit of glory rests on you when you are defiled for the name of christ when you are persecuted when you are slandered for the name of christ the spirit of glory rests on you friends i'm 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 telling you with things that are happening at a government level in this nation and at a societal level that we need to be a people who are prepared in the years to come to suffer for standing up for the truth and for the name of christ i don't i'm not making predictions or dates or what that's going to be like but the trajectory is moving fast fast and we need to be a people who will not buckle under pressure but stand up for the one who loved us and himself did not buckle under pressure, but with his gaze of love set on you and on me, carried his cross to Calvary and was put upon it and hung there for you and for me. You see, the suffering of Jesus on the cross on your behalf, that he was mocked, spit upon, slandered, beaten, made fun of, whipped, and then crucified naked, that is the model for us Oh, that's ugly. That's gruesome. Right? And it doesn't always say, it just doesn't it blow your mind that you fit your faith, the thing that your faith is grounded on, the thing that you come to church for on Sunday mornings is all based on a Roman torture device? I mean, it's based on the one who hung on it, but it's a really, it's a, it's a, it's a gruesome thing to think about. But it's the path of self-denial so that we can be emptied out and full of Him. And Peter says, and Peter knew suffering. He knew imprisonment. He knew beatings. And ultimately, tradition tells us he too was crucified. And he says, when you suffer for the name of Christ, rejoice! Sing songs! Hallelujah! It says in the early church in Acts that they were rejoicing and singing because they got to suffer for the name of Christ. They got a beating from the government authorities. They got a big old 39 lashings and they went off rejoicing that they got to suffer for the name of Christ. That would, most people would say, you're certifiably crazy, right? But guess what, friends? Christianity's crazy. 
(laughs) Following Jesus is crazy. And it's uncomfortable. And it's full of glory and inexpressible joy. And so the question for us is, will we return to Him the suffering love that He gave to us? Right? Some of us may live a fairly comfortable life. The suffering may be minimal. You know, the suffering sometimes it starts with small decisions, right? To die to yourself. And I always use this one, let your spouse pick the flavor of Ben and Jerry's, okay? Sometimes it starts there with small things. And that's, that's a place where habits can be created that strengthen our character to be a people who are regularly learning to die to self. Let the person in, even though they're not using a blinker, right? Those little things that you can do are strengthening character in you to be a person who lives for God and for others, right? And will strengthen you in being unashamed as a believer. I want to read one more uh, thing to you briefly from uh, Paul's letter uh, to Timothy, and then we're going to close it up in just a minute here. So Paul was writing to his young protege, Timothy, in, uh, the, in the second letter to Timothy. And he says this to Timothy, such beautiful words. He says, uh, For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So what do you need to have power, love, and self-discipline? The spirit that God gave us. The spirit that God gave us. And he says to Timothy, he says, So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Timothy clearly had, he had some kind of timidity about him. He loved Jesus, but he was just timid about being public and open. He was a little bit afraid of suffering. Paul says, Don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And he reminds Timothy why it's worth doing that. This is beautiful. He has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we have done, but because of His own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. See, grace transforms. Grace compels us to live differently. The grace and the knowledge of eternal life with Jesus gives us unashamed and bold hearts to proclaim His name in a world that desperately needs His salvation. How to be unashamed. I have a few points here. I'm not going to go through them because I really am trying to uh, be self-disciplined. Let the Spirit of God, it says, gives us self-discipline. So I'm trying to be disciplined, but I want to make just a few quick practical points uh, because to be unashamed you have to be consecrated. And I think consecration is a word that just keeps coming up for me in my prayer life and in my study of Scripture. It's something the Lord is calling me to. But to be consecrated, and we mentioned this last week, it simply means to be set apart. To be set apart from other things, from common things, for a holy and sacred purpose. And so consecration to the Lord is necessary to be unashamed. And there's a few things I think that we can do to be to consecrate ourselves to the Lord. Even you can start today. You can start tomorrow morning. Things that will strengthen you. And everybody's at a different place in their commitment to the Lord and in their devotional practice. But here are just some practical things. Number one is the Word, is embracing the Word with a new depth. You see, I don't mean, I mean serious digging in. I don't mean just like, I don't mean to like, be a jerk to anybody but just lackadaisically looking at a few verses on your phone like once a week or three times a week or whatever that's not digging into the word 
That's not get, setting apart a holy time for the Lord to speak to you. I mean digging into the Word, right? More than that, five, working up, if you're at a five-minute devotion, working out of that into a deeper place with the Lord, right? We're, 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 um, we have no problem giving like two and a half hours to a baseball game or a football game or something. Let's, let's, let's consecrate ourselves. And the more you do that, the more the joy of His presence just rests on you. Just getting into the Word, digging into the Word. Lord, teach me. Teach me about your word. Number one is, uh, or number two is private prayer. Really uh, being active about growing in your private prayer prayer life. It, sometimes it feels like a struggle, like a battle. You just are battling. You're just like, I just don't know what to pray. I just don't know. But you know what? God hears the cries of the desperate. And it says he is close to all who call on him in truth. And so when you say, Lord, I don't know what to pray. I don't know how to pray. Holy Spirit, I need you to pray in and through me. Come and rest on me and teach me to pray. And open your Bible and open the Psalms and just start praying them. Right? Learning to press in and pray until you pray. One of my favorite phrases ever. Pray until you pray. The Spirit of glory and of grace will rest on you. Oswald Chambers said, Prayer is the vital breath of the Christian. Not the thing that makes him alive, but the evidence that he is alive. Prayer is the vital breath of the Christian. Not the thing that makes him alive, but the evidence that he is alive. Our prayer life is evidence of how alive our relationship with the Lord is. And then, this is the last one that I'm going to say, and it's this, and it's praising God with, learning to praise God with full surrender. Okay. So if you're, unless you have like a pain in your arms or something, if you can do this right now, go like this. Everybody just go like this. Move your arms out like this. Say, I'm free. Say, I'm free. I'm free. Okay, so let's learn to praise God with full and total surrender. It's biblical. You can put your arms down now. I know they get tired after a while. It's biblical. It says, lift up your holy hands to the Lord and bless the Lord. Lifting your hands. And I don't just mean in church. I mean in your private prayer closet. Oh, do you know what Daddy God feels when He looks down and sees you alone choosing to lift your hands up to Him and praise Him? Do you know why it's so powerful? What do you, when you, when I just made you do that, what did you feel like? Be honest. Vulnerable. Vulnerable. It makes you feel vulnerable. It makes you feel surrendered. Right? What's this? Stop, freeze, hands up, right? I surrender. It's a position of surrender and humility. It's a posture. We pray not only with our spirit and with our tongue, but we pray with our bodies, right? That's why we kneel, we lift our hands, we're praying with our bodies, and Papa God looks down on those who are surrendered. And man, does it bless his heart. Man, does it warm his heart for us when he looks down upon us. Praising him with full surrender. Friends, Jesus himself is looking at his church And he's looking for those who will be unashamed of his name. And in the days, in the weeks to come, we're going to learn about and we're going to, we're going to band together as a people and learn what it means to be sent out into the world and continue to do that. But it starts with those just little conversations that you strike up. It starts with loving people for who they are, getting to know them, right? God opens the door of opportunity to share the gospel all the time if you're intentionally opening up to people people that you don't know, people in public, offering to pray, right? Step out and take a risk. The, sh- the unashamedness, is that a word? It will grow and strengthen the more risks you take. John Wimber said, faith is spelled R-I-S-K. Faith is spelled R-I-S-K. Taking risks, right? 
Just being in a place of consecration. That is who the Lord is, is, is looking for. And so before anything else, here at Good Shepherd, before we, we focus on, on, on church growth or programs or events or anything else, our priority should be hunger for Jesus in our personal lives. So you might look around and see this as, oh man, the coronavirus has really weighed on us. We have a very small congregation right now. But what if you shifted your perception and said, this is an opportunity to grow in an intimate group of believers in my hunger for Jesus? What a, what a, what isn't that just a much more exciting way of looking at it? This is an opportunity to draw close to Jesus. Because hunger changes us into a people who are unashamed. 